Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Well, there are, there are certain things that age really well, aren't there? Uh, like most of you, right? Um, <laughs> when, we, when we talk about aging well and thinking of things that have aged well, we, we think usually right of a, of a particular song or a movie or a, a book, right, that are more powerful now, more meaningful now, the older they get. Uh, I recently uh, reread George Orwell's book 1984 and Adolis Huxley's Brave New World. And those are novels that have become more true and more meaningful over time. Uh, the, the original Star Wars trilogy continues to get better with every rewatch, mostly because they keep making bad new Star Wars movies, right? Um, <laughs> the comic strip from the 80s and 90s, Calvin and Hobbes, is one of those things that has aged really well. I remember reading them in the newspaper, then collecting many of the books, and now as a, as a parent who happens to own the complete collection, I sometimes read them to Serena and William, just hoping that they don't pick up on too many of Calvin's antics, right? Um, This is one of my favorite strips. I think this one was from 1987, right? In the first panel there, Calvin walks in from the outside, and you can see he's got dirt on his face, and his mom says, goodness, you're filthy. Into the tub with you. (laughs) And what does Calvin do? He still has a dirty face, and he's in the tub, and he says, I obey the letter of the law, if not the spirit. (laughs) The mom yells from downstairs, let's hear some water running. (laughs) In the last panel, Calvin's getting out, still in his clothes, still dirty as all can be, on nuts, right? <laughs> Mom caught me. We see the, the full extent there of, of Calvin's literalism. And whether or not we want to admit it, uh, Calvin encapsulates so much of us, doesn't he? Uh, that's our nature right there, obedience to the letter of the law and not the spirit, and, and there's a big difference, isn't there? A, a huge difference. When, when Calvin's mom says, into the tub with you, Calvin willingly obeys just the, the command, the literal words, and not the meaning behind what mom has intended. Obviously, when she said, into the tub with you, what does she want Calvin to do? Take a bath, right? Uh, soap, water, the whole works. And in our sermon text for this morning, Jesus confronts the Pharisees, who, who might as well be named Calvin. They are obeying the letter of the law, and as we'll see, adding additional letters to the law while neglecting the spirit behind them. They loved their clean hands, but they had filthy hearts. Find Mark 7 in your Bibles if you haven't already. We'll be looking at uh, at verses 1 through 23 this morning. Uh, But to begin, I'd like to read just the eight verses to set the stage and to get us going. Uh, Mark chapter 7, why don't you stand out of reverence as I read God's word. Again, reading in Jesus' name, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had been coming from Jerusalem, they saw some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, 
holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they are washed. And, they, and there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes said to him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Heavenly Father, Lord, these are uh, some convicting words. They were convicting words for uh, the people that Jesus spoke them to, and they're uh, convicting words for us today as well. We ask that you would be here with us today in our hearts as well. We know that they need your cleansing. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Mark begins this chapter of the gospel and this uh, confrontation by telling the Pharisees and the scribes that they'd gotten together to gang up on Jesus and his disciples. The scribes, if you remember, they were the lawyers. They were the teachers of the day. They were the ones who studied, who interpreted, and taught the law, the Torah. And they also passed down the traditions of the elders that had been put in place years before. And the Pharisees, of course, are the religious extremists of Jesus' day. They were a sect of Judaism and a sect that tried to get the rest of Israel to conform to their standards, their tradition, their extreme ethic. And they were marked by their separatist lifestyles, lifestyles that were strict and often unforgiving. Pharisees were, were really good at being Calvins, really good at obeying the letter of the law but neglecting the spirit, the intent behind it. And Jesus and his disciples, as they're traveling around preaching and teaching and healing the sick, they often ended up at the same dinner parties as some of the Pharisees and, and scribes. And I don't know if the hosts just love to see that confrontation because you think that would be inevitable whenever you invited the Pharisees and Jesus to the same party, there would be a clash. But at this, and at this particular time, the scribes and the Pharisees noticed that Jesus and his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. They ate without properly washing their hands. And, and, and so the Pharisees, they confront Jesus and his disciples on this issue of unwashed hands. And this wasn't, by the way, a hygiene issue. Uh, they, they were being accused of not observing ritualistic washings. And, and these ritualistic washings were done mostly for tradition and part of this ritualistic show. The word uh, wash there in, in, Greek, or in, in verse 4 is actually the Greek word for baptism, baptizo. Uh, part of their rituals involved sprinkling or pouring water over their hands. And, and tradition would, would told you that you needed to wash to baptize your hands all the time. Uh, for example, whenever you came back from the marketplace, you were supposed to wash because at the marketplace, you might have unknowingly brushed up against something or someone that was ritually unclean, like maybe a certain type of insect or a certain type of fish or, or even something as unclean as a Gentile. And you were supposed to do this ritualistic washing when you got back from the marketplace, when you got back and then before you uh, sat down for meals too. Anytime you left, you were supposed to do these ritualistic washings. 
And it begs the question, where did all of these things come from? Where did all these rituals come from? They weren't prescribed in the Old Testament, in, in the Torah, but they were passed down from oral traditions and, and from the traditions of the elders of Judaism. And that's the second accusation that the scribes and the Pharisees leveled at Jesus that day and his disciples. They do not hold to the tradition of the elders. You probably noticed that phrase repeated a couple of different times in Mark 7. It comes up, I think, in verse 3 and then and later on again in verse 5. And this accusation really gets to the heart of, of their complaint. You, you, you're not holding to our traditions. And, and the traditions of the elders was also called the oral law. And it had been around for around 200 years before Jesus came. And these traditions were originally uh, intended to help the Jews keep the Torah, the law that God had given to Moses. They were described as a fence around the law, helping people to stay away from breaking the law. But as time went on, more and more traditions were added, additional fences were installed. And this had the opposite effect. Instead of helping people keep God's law, instead of helping them follow the Lord, people got more confused as to what was prohibited and to what was allowed. The oral traditions of these elders were finally codified in written form in the third century, around 200 years after Jesus. It's called the Mishnah, and it's 186 pages of rules and regulations. And uh, 35 of these pages were dedicated to the ritual washings of cups and bowls. And if you want, you can go find it online and some great reading before bedtime because it'll put you to sleep pretty quick. <laughs> um, Kent Hughes made a summary uh, of some of the traditions found in the Mishnah this way, and I have it here on screen. He said, In an effort to protect the Sabbath from being broken through inadvertent labor, the Jews were given an amazing list of prohibitions, fences around the law, right? For example, looking in a mirror on the Sabbath was forbidden because if you looked into the mirror on the Sabbath day and saw a gray hair, you might be tempted to pull it out and thus perform work on the Sabbath. I won't ask if any of you broke that Sabbath regulation <laughs> this morning, right? Uh, he, goes, he goes on to say, you, may not all, you could not also wear your false teeth because if they fell out, you would have to pick them up and that would be working. Right? In regard to carrying a burden, you could not carry a handkerchief on the Sabbath. All right? uh, that meant if you were upstairs and wanted to take your handkerchief downstairs, you would have to tie it around your neck, walk downstairs, and untie it. Then you could blow your nose downstairs. All right? uh, the rabbis debated about a man with a wooden leg. If it caught fire, could he carry his wooden leg out of his house on the Sabbath? Would that be considered work or not? All right. Could, you, you could spit on the Sabbath, but you had to be careful where. If it landed on the dirt and you accidentally scuffed it with your sandal, you would be cultivating the soil and thus performing work. <laughs> All right. This must have been tough if not impossible, for, for the people to keep it all straight and all together. These, these fences, originally intended for good, became hurdles that nobody could successfully navigate. And it was those traditions that Jesus and his disciples were being accused of not observing. You don't uh, ritualistic wash your, wash your hands, you don't observe the tradition of the elders. 
But instead of washing hands, Jesus tells the scribes and the Pharisees and us today to wash your heart. Wash your heart. And that's what he gets at in the second part of this sermon text. And the, uh, the heart washing involved three different facets. First, Jesus says, stop play acting. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. You hypocrites, Jesus says. Nobody likes a hypocrite, do they? (laughs) Um, Originally, the, the word hypocrite referred to an actor on stage. In the absence of high def 4K TVs, when you, when you sat nosebleed at a play, you couldn't tell the, the emotion that was conveyed by an actor's face. So actors would wear these various masks to communicate what they were supposed to feel, right? Great big smiley faces for somebody who was feeling joy and excitement, a frown to convey sadness or anger. And of course, the the emotions that the character portrayed were independent, were separate, were were detached from whatever emotion that the actor who played the character may have felt, right? So over time, the word hypocrite came to speak of one who said one thing and yet did another, right? And we witness examples of hypocrisy every day. Uh, Politicians are easy to pick on because of the public life that they lead, right? Mayors who limit gathering sizes and mandate masks for their city only to leave the press briefing and go to a large birthday party that's unmasked, right? Senators and representatives who, who tell us to cut our carbon emissions while, while flying around the United States in their own personal private jets. <laughs> A governor who's part of the Me Too movement is removed from office for sexual misconduct. And it's not just politicians who are hypocrites. An overweight doctor who tells you to eat healthier. <laughs> A pastor who abuses those in his care. A policeman who steals drugs from drug dealers. The list goes on. This week I, I spent uh, some time at a coffee shop preparing for this sermon. And, and, and normally I have my earbuds in when I study. Uh, but for a while I, I took my earbuds out and just listened to the conversation that's, that was going on around me and that some of the employees were having. And I could actually hear that conversation really well uh, because it was early in the morning and I was the only one in the store. And I listened for more than 15 minutes to these employees badmouth some of the, the regular customers, some of the, the DoorDash delivery guys, some of their fellow employees. And they were pretty vocal, in fact, about one particular employee, one particular coworker using her name often. They kept mocking her voice and her lack of knowledge concerning certain areas, certain aspects of her job. And as the morning wore on and the coffee shop got busier, this particular coworker came in for her shift, and her coworker greeted her with smiles <laughs> and warm, kind words. <laughs> Hypocrites, right? <laughs> I wanted to go up to that gal and, and ask her, "Do you know what they're saying about you? <laughs> Do you know what they are, are what they are really thinking?" 
Uh, but in all reality, I was just really wondering what they were going to say about me when I left <laughs> the coffee shop. <laughs> uh, ironically, uh, one of the, the most ironic things about that whole situation, and I, I took a picture of it, and I should have put it on the screen for you, uh, was that there was a sign on the counter, probably handwritten by one of uh, the employees that morning. It was on a whiteboard, and it's often changed. Uh, but there was a sign there that very morning that read, Use your words to build up rather than destroy. <laughs> Hypocrites, right? <laughs> Hypocrites. And hypocrisy isn't limited to just a secular realm. It's contagious in our spiritual matters as well. And that's what Jesus is really getting at in these verses. He quotes from Isaiah 29, verses we read this morning. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The scribes, the Pharisees, they were, they were honoring God with their lips. They were saying all the right things to his face, doing all the right things for God and his people. But that was it. Their heart was not in it at all. And in fact, their hearts were anywhere but with the Lord. The, the hand washing, the, the ritualistic fa- fasting, the, the giving of alms, the, the prayers offered in the synagogues, all of it was for show. None of it was for the Lord, but they did it to spotlight themselves and build up and pad and puff their own egos. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus accuses them of of practicing their righteousness, doing their good deeds, only to look good in the eyes of their neighbor, their fellow man, and not out of a genuine concern for the Lord or, or, or care for his people. Hypocrisy play acting. It's easy to call out in the lives of others, but it's really hard and painful to do it in our own lives, isn't it? And instead of uh, examining the specks of dust in the eyes of others, let's remove the logs in our own eyes, right? When we confess our sins each Sunday morning, is there real confession that's happening? Or do you just mouth the words because that's what we're supposed to do? When we stand to read scripture, do you do it out of habit or out of real reverence for the word of God? When we pray the Lord's Prayer, are we, are we really praying or are we just thinking about the cookies that we're going to eat in just a few minutes? It's not just corporate customs that we can do on a, on a Sunday morning that can become routine. Even our own devotional lives can become a habit. The way we dress on a Sunday morning and the rest of the week might not be for the Lord, but it's so we notice by others and get their praise. We can serve on all the right boards and the right committees in order to look good before others, but again, it's all for show sometimes. And one could argue that if we do all these things like confessing our sins and standing when we read the Bible and reciting the Lord's Prayer together, if we do all of these things and they're just becoming routine and habit, let's get rid of them, wipe it all away. And, right, there might be some logic in that. If it's not helping you worship the Lord, right, then stop doing it, right? But the flip side of that coin and that argument is that everything can become a routine and a habit, even if with the trendiest of worship styles, right? You can sing the newest of songs and your heart can still be far from the Lord. You can listen to the most dynamic of preachers and yet your heart will still be thinking of other things, the things that are going to go on that afternoon or that week. The call of Jesus here isn't to stop doing all the things that we've been doing, but to check our hearts and make sure that we are living in a right relationship with the Lord. And then the things that we do, the confessions, the Bible reading, reciting the Lord's Prayer, they take on new purpose and new meaning. Let's stop play-acting. 
Let's start worshiping God again. The next thing that Jesus tells the scribes and the Pharisees is to stop invalidating God's word. Stop invalidating God's word. This is in in Mark chapter 7, verses 8 through 13, and I'll read those here. Uh, You leave the commandment of God, Jesus says, and hold to the tradition of men. Furthermore, he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things do you do, Jesus says. The scribes and and Pharisees had committed two errors, and Jesus isn't shy to call them out. First, Jesus accuses them of abandoning God's word. He he charges them of of leaving, of rejecting, of making void the commandments of God. And it's easy to see why, isn't it? With all those fences around the law, they had practically forgotten the commandment uh, and the reason the Lord gave them that commandment. They had abandoned God's law. And whenever God's word is abandoned, there's always something that rises up to take its place. And in this case, the scribes and Pharisees had elevated their own traditions to that place of honor that God's word had formerly had. And this is, again, the second error that Jesus charges his people or charges the scribes and Pharisees for. They have elevated their own rules. The fences had become more important than what they were guarding. And Jesus gives a a very specific example of how this played out. In verse 10, Jesus summarizes the fourth commandment from Exodus 20 and then quotes a verse from Exodus 21, both of which emphasize care and concern for parents. One from a positive perspective, honor your father and mother, and the other from a negative aspect, whoever reviles his father and mother must surely die. But one of the traditions of the elders that had been passed down began to supersede these simple basic commandments. The elders had instituted a law called Corbin that provided illegal loopholes to get around the fourth commandment. Instead of caring for your parents into old age and providing for their needs, a Jewish man simply had to declare his possessions, his money was Corbin a gift that would be given to God that would be passed along to the temple when that man died. And thereby, any help that the man could render to his parents, well, if I I give it to you in the here and now, I'd be taking it away from God later, and, and taking care of God later is a more holy and noble task, so I can't take care of you now, Mom and Dad. Sorry, is basically what they were saying. And Jesus calls them out for this gross hypocrisy, this neglect of God's word, this this elevation of tradition above all else. Jesus says, stop play acting. Stop invalidating God's word. Wash your hands, or wash your heart, not your hands. And that's what Jesus gets at into the last section that we're going to look at this morning, verses 14 through 23. And in these verses, Jesus tells, tells the scribes and the Pharisees to guard your heart and eat your bacon. Guard your heart and eat your bacon. Let's look at these verses here. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. 
There is nothing outside a person that can, by going into him, defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, the disciples asked him about this parable. And he said to them, Then are you without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within, and they defile a person. Guard your heart and eat your bacon. I don't know if we as New Testament Christians fully understand the radical nature of this passage of Scripture. Uh, Commentator William Barclay said this passage is well nigh the most revolutionary passage in the New Testament. And it's radical for good reason. Strict dietary laws dominated uh, Judaism in Jesus' day and still do uh, to this day, in fact. Uh, They were able... I'm sorry, there, there were and there are a multitude of foods that the Jews will not eat, right? Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 14, uh, among others, spell out in long detail foods that were clean, okay to eat, and, and unclean foods that the Jews could not eat, right? Pork is the obvious no-go there, right? Uh, shellfish, sturgeon, catfish were all non-kosher. Uh, broccoli, asparagus, cauliflower are all non-kosher. Uh, blackberries, raspberries were to be avoided as well. <laughs> In many circles uh, nowadays, jello is considered non-kosher by most raspberry er, by most raspberries, <laughs> by most rabbis. <laughs> well, 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 some marshmallows are okay to eat. It all depends on, on what animal the gelatin came out of that makes those foods, right? Jews saw and continue to see this day these dietary restrictions as being a distinguishing mark, one of the things that sets them apart from others. But Jesus knew that foods don't make you clean or unclean, righteous or unrighteous. The things that we eat, the things that we drink, don't make us good in God's eyes. Therefore, we can eat bacon and enjoy it. Praise the Lord, right? (laughs) However, the first century Christians, especially those coming from Jewish backgrounds, had a really hard time giving up a lot of their dietary customs. When you read through the book of Acts, you discover that many of the arguments that the early church had revolved around the eating of food, what to eat, and who to eat it with. Could you eat food that was sacrificed to an idol? Could you eat in the same house as a Gentile? Thankfully, they remembered Jesus' words and and the Lord, through his Holy Spirit, directed them to stop clinging on to these external things. Our relationship with the Lord God is not a matter of the stomach, Jesus says, but of the heart. And more specifically, it's what comes out of the heart that really and truly reveals our nature and our character and the state of our relationship with the Lord. That's why he tells us to guard our hearts. 
And our hearts need guarding, don't they? In verses 21 and 22, Jesus lists 13 different sins that defile a person. And this is by, by any means not an exhaustive list of sins. Jesus could have added thousands more. But the point is that, that our sin is what defiles us and keeps us separated from God. And our hearts in and of themselves are unclean, polluted, poisoned by our sin. And not only the sin that we do externally, visible to all, but the thoughts and intentions of our hearts defile us as well. And our defiled hearts only stand to condemn us before God. Our sin separates us from the Lord, and there is nothing we can do in and of ourselves to cleanse our own hearts. All of our own efforts to cleanse ourselves fall short. Have you ever tried to clean a countertop with a dirty rag or a dirty washcloth? <laughs> How well does that work, right? Uh, you try to mop a floor with dirty water, it doesn't go so well. All you do is spread the dirt around, right, and make more of a mess for you to clean up. And that's what it's like when we try to cleanse our own hearts. Our own efforts to take care of our sin fall short, and we end up spreading the dirt in our hearts and our, in our souls around more and more, making more of a, more of a mess. We needed something external to cleanse our hearts, don't we? We need something outside of ourselves, and the Lord God knew that too. That's why Jesus came. He came to give his life, to die on the cross in your place and on your behalf, shedding his blood for you. And that his blood is that cleansing agent that our souls so desperately need. And when you receive Jesus, whether that was at your, your baptism, your, your washing as a baby, or whether you came to the Lord later in life, whenever you receive Jesus, his blood is applied to you, to, the, to your sin, to the sin of your soul, and, and cleanses it perfectly and wholly. We no longer stand condemned before God because of the blood of his son. Jesus covers us from all of our sin. Amen. Now that doesn't mean that we, we still don't struggle with sin, do we? No, far from it. As believers, we need the washing of Jesus daily. We need his grace to be applied every day, often. Because of the temptations of the world, we continually need to guard our hearts. We need to uh, watch what we put into our hearts and into our minds, what, what movies we watch, what TV we watch, what music we listen to, what conversations we have, what we scroll through on social media, because those things put into our hearts eventually find their way out again. And because of our sinful nature, a nature that won't fully be removed on this side of eternity, our hearts are always inclined towards sin. We want to be Calvins, <laughs> obeying the letter of the law, but not the Spirit. We need to come in daily repentance and faith to Jesus who won the victory over sin on our behalf. And as we eagerly await his return, he'll set all things right in the end, cleansing us completely. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for sending your Son Jesus to cleanse us from our sin. We thank you that you, in your grace and your mercy, you loved us enough to send him for us. Lord, and as we go out into the world, we battle temptations on a daily basis. We battle sin um, in, our, in our own hearts and in our own souls. We pray that you would give us the strength we need to battle the world, the flesh, and the devil every single day, every single hour. We thank you for the victory again that we have in Jesus. Amen.